Good evening. Our first reading is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 to 20. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away from, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed and you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Shalom. Our first reading tonight is from the book of Psalms, Sefer Tehillim, in the Hebrew, the book of praises. This was actually the official hymn book of both Jewish temples. Someone says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the Torah, the instruction of the Lord. And in his Torah he meditates day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall never wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel reading today is found in Luke chapter 14. Please stand. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
For if you lay the foundation are not able to finish it, everyone who hears it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, once again, we come to you as needy children. Lord, we do need your guidance, your instruction. Lord, we need your discernment. And Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit and to give us endurance and perseverance so that we may indeed be loyal and faithful to your Son, Jesus, in good times and in difficult times. Help us, we pray. Be mindful of our human frailty and our weaknesses and our sin. Forgive us, we ask. And bring us to a place of maturity and holiness. And we do ask this for the sake of your Son, Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Going to um, say... few things, well, who knows if there are a few. We, in the last few weeks, we have been um, examining uh, Jesus and his understanding of the kingdom of heaven and uh, what discipleship or his understanding of, of discipleship. And uh, this according to the Gospel of Luke. And of course, every gospel has its, you might say, its own twist or its own uh, take uh, on these issues. And um, I think there are a couple of things that we should probably keep in mind. I think first and foremost, if we do want to talk about um, discipleship, I'm very um, pleased that uh, it has become a... uh, a buzzword or a popular subject uh, in many Christian churches. It's uh, comforting to know that we're moving away from sort of a cheap grace or, uh, you know, an easy uh, faith with just uh, all we say is, I believe in Jesus, and uh, somehow that's enough. So this discipleship has come to the forefront. However, sometimes the word can become a little bit abstract and it's possibly become something kind of religious and it uh, very often can become a program 
And the program might be, well, read two chapters of your Bible every day, pray for 15 minutes, make sure you go to the prayer meeting on Wednesday. So I think discipleship isn't the best word. And uh, some have taken to, to um, replace discipleship with the word apprenticeship. And I think that might be perhaps uh, a, a little clearer, a little better for us uh, to use that word. And secondly, we just need to keep in mind that uh, when we talk about discipleship or apprenticeship, we're not talking about a program, even though it might be a, a program might be involved. We're actually talking about a relationship, right? And it's a relationship with the living God, with the Father, through the Son. Yes, uh, Jesus of uh, Jesus of Nazareth. But I. Whether we read from Mark or Luke or John or the, the book of Acts, yes, I think we have to keep in mind that behind the Gospels, the book of Acts, and even the epistles, yeah, there is a Jewish context. Uh, there is a Jewish tradition. There's Jewish practice. And uh, virtually all books, books, Christian books written on uh, discipleship barely mention, yes, that Jewish context. But 200 years before Jesus, uh, the idea of study or following a sage uh, or um, imitating the, uh, the life of one's mentor, yes, starts to become very prominent and um, even very important in Jewish life. And what, you might say, what is the goal of all this? Well, maybe in our Christian prejudice, we might think, oh, they're just trying to, Jews in ancient times, and perhaps we might even um, be unfair to suggest, maybe Jews today, they just want to learn the rules and the regulations. Because after all, in our perhaps distorted way of thinking about Jews and Judaism, they're just bound up with legalism. They're bound up with just doing this stuff. So surely, you know, that must have been the motive. But in actual fact, the goal, yes, the goal of apprenticeship as practiced by the Jewish people long before Jesus, the goal was holiness. The goal was holiness. And of course, if we understand anything about holiness, holiness is something that's imputed. It's something that God, um, it's something that's connected to God, something that God consecrates, God himself makes holy. But then at the same time, God always tells his people, yes, to sanctify themselves or to consecrate themselves. And uh, that happens Largely, yes, when we obey God's word, when we obey God's instructions. The, 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 the verse that I think makes it very plain is the verse that's found in the Shema, uh, the full Shema. It, we'll, say later, we'll say the Shema later, but we say, 
you might say a truncated version. And uh, in, in Numbers 15, you have, uh, you have the following. Here it says, I'm reading from verse 40. It says that um, God says to the people of Israel to wear tassels, right? And these tassels are not something magical, but they are to be worn so that when uh, one looks at the tassels, uh, one will remember, yes, all the will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So it's obedience, right, to God's instructions and to God's words that brings holiness. And of course, holiness has... Um, it, it has a great attraction, or it should have a great attraction to us. Um, because when we think of holy, or we think of God's otherness, uh, it is something that uh, is often compared to as a fire. Our God is a consuming fire. That holiness, God's holiness, is on one hand nurturing, life-giving, and at the same time, it's dangerous, and it can kill. And so there's, you might say we have a certain fascination, and many would have a certain fear of what holiness uh, might be, but holiness does have incredible benefits. And one of the benefits, yes, is not only that it brings power, to God's people. But one of the benefits is that it enables us to have fellowship. It enables us to connect with the Lord in a way that uh, you might say is impossible uh, without holiness. You um, may know the, this verse or this this instance, and I'm reading from the book of Exodus. And uh, in, in chapter 29 in Exodus, it tells us um, that when the tabernacle is set up, the priests are consecrated. Yes, everything is prepared. Right? It, uh, let me just read a few verses. For the generations to come, from Exodus 29. This burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There I will also meet the Israelites and the place will be consecrated. It will be made holy by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites, and I will be their God. What happens in the context of holiness? The presence of the Lord. Right? The presence of the Lord. And you might 
think, okay, that's all the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. But can I remind you of Hebrews 12? It says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Yes, and I don't think it just, about, it's not about something that happens when you die, but it's in this life as well as in the life to come. Or the connection between obedience and presence, between connection between obedience and presence, right, is very well uh, stated by Jesus for us, yes. And why would we expect any kind of discontinuity between the first covenant and the second covenant? Of course we shouldn't. But uh, in one gospel, it tells us, it says, the, it tells us uh, the following. It says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. Right? Here is uh, Revelation. And then in another promise, it says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Right? The motivation is love. The result ends up in being obedient to the teaching of Jesus. Yes. And it says, my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. Yes? Talking about intimacy. Right? Talking about fulfilling, yes, perhaps the deepest human desire, which is to see God and to enter into a relationship with him. And so, taking God's words seriously, yes, in this Jewish context, um, you have the rise of study. It's important to study God's word and to apply it. But sometimes study for many people wasn't enough. Study was maybe a little abstract or not practical. And so uh, in Israel or in the Jewish tradition, you have sages and teachers who arise and these teachers uh, attract, yes, you might students, learners, those who want to be apprentices. And they want to learn, yes, God's word. Because God's word can't be totally, fully learned in a classroom. And I'm very thrilled that people go to Bible college. I'm, it's wonderful that people go to seminary, but that's really not enough, yes? And so, you would follow a teacher around and you wanted to see how this teacher, yes, how he put the words of the Torah, God's guidance, God's will, God's instruction, how he put it into practice. You know, did he give charity? He might say he did it, he does it, or he might tell you giving charity or giving alms is a wonderful thing, but does he do it? How does he treat his wife? Yes. Can he control his temper? <clears throat> Can he control his drinking habits? Can he control the way he uses money or does, how does he use money? It's all these things, yes, you want to observe so that by mimicking or imitating, 
Yes, yeah, the student can learn the ways of the Torah. That's apprenticeship. You follow a sage around. You follow a teacher. You share intimately in the life of that teacher. You, you might say discipleship depends on presence and it also depends on service. As you serve the teacher, as the disciples serve Jesus in the Gospels, you hang with the teacher, yes, you learn from the teacher, you observe just how he does things, even the smallest things. Yes, that's apprenticeship, right? Again, the goal is holiness. And uh, the benefits of holiness perhaps need no explanation. So how does this work with Jesus in the passage that we just read? Well, Jesus certainly, certainly adopts the practice of calling learners or calling students to himself. And Jesus, yes, is going to model for them, live out for them, you know, God's word in virtually every uh, situation. What does it mean to, to be obedient? What is the intent of the scripture? What is God's heart? Now, and this is where Jesus is similar to, the, to, to his Jewish context or to all the other the Jewish teachers and sages kind of doing their thing uh, in the age in which he lived. But he's also radically different because Jesus understands that he has an authority. Yes, he understands, yes, who he is in God's economy. And therefore, he doesn't talk about being a disciple or a student of the Torah, per se. He talks about being, he, call, he calls people and says, uh, unlike any of his contemporaries, yes, at the time, and even to this day in a Jewish context, uh, do you want to be my disciple? Do you want to follow me? Do you want to learn from me? Do you want to imitate me? Because John's gospel, you know, my words are spirit and life. Or in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will say, I have not come to cancel the Torah. Or I have not come to, I've come to fulfill it. Most likely meaning I have not come to misinterpret the Torah, but I've come to give it its right meaning or to fill it with its right meaning. Yes, now Jesus is saying, I have the right understanding of the scripture. Therefore, you know, learn from me. Learn from me. And so being an apprentice, being an apprentice, being a student, being one who imitates Jesus, who, by the way, is imitating God. Yes, okay, who's imitating God. Again, the goal the goal is holiness, but it presents to us some challenges. And these challenges are, some of them are old, ancient, and some are kind of new uh, to the day and age in which we live. And so I just like to think of three. Um, 
Uh, I'm adverse to a three-point sermon. I, I like a 27 or 29-point sermon, but I'm going to try to restrain, my, restrain myself this evening. And so the first would be the command to hate. We all know, we all know Jesus has a command to love, but according to our passage here in Luke, Jesus starts off in a very radical way, uh, in a way that sometimes when we hear it, it still jars us or perhaps disturbs us, which is a good thing. And uh, he says, large crowds were traveling with him and turning to them. <clears throat> yeah, because these crowds, yeah, they, they love they love the Jesus free lunch program. Yeah, they love the Jesus Netflix channel, you know, all the parables, the stories. They love the Jesus uh, HMO or his National Health Service. I mean, you get healed, you don't have to wait eight months for an operation. Man, what a, you know, this is a good deal. Let's hang on Jesus. Let's follow him. And I think Jesus, uh, understands that being popular in this way can be quite shallow. And so he's going to issue it in the midst of his popularity, yeah, when he's reaching his, you know, his height and his, uh, the height of his uh, fame and everybody, he's, he's going to pull the plug on it. And he's going to say, really, if you want to be with me, if you're going to come to me, then here's what it's going to cost you. And he begins, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my apprentice, my student, can't be the one who really learns from me. Yikes, what do we do with that? Right? Hate your father and mother? What are we to think of that? Now first, let's just think for a minute. When it comes to being an apprentice, yeah, what, so, what more often gets in the way than family or family relations or family expectations? Sometimes these are expectations that uh, may not even exist, but uh, we, may, we may have imagined such, such expectations, or family pressure of one kind or another. Um, and this family pressure may be, again, coming from the family, or it may be something uh, internal within us. And so very often, yes, answering the call to really follow Jesus and allow no other allegiances to get in the way. Well, family is very, very, uh, very often um, the, 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 the thing that stops people. I, I don't know how many local people told me over the years, oh, I really, really, you know, um, I really love Jesus. I really would like to be a believer or a follower, but I can't do this to my family. I 
cannot do this to my family, right? That's the power that very often, yes, um, a family or a a family dynamic may, may have over us. And so in the midst of all this, what is Jesus saying? Hate your father and mother. Now it's pretty unlikely that the Jesus who taught that we should love our enemies is actually uh, commanding us literally to hate mommy and mom and dad, uncle, junior, brother, cousin, grandma, whatever it may be. So clearly this is hyperbole. Yes, it's exaggeration to make a point, something that Jesus does from time to time. It is not to be taken literally. Although some people take it literally. I remember in my youth, my misspent youth, on the streets of the, in the United States, there was this group called the Children of God. And they were out there passing out leaflets and, uh, you know, say, come join our group and uh, turn your back on your family and uh, you've got to hate them. <clears throat> you've got to hate them. You know, we were all in shock. You know, the day that the guitar player from Fleetwood Mac, Jeremy Spencer, joined the children of God. I don't know if he began to hate his parents, but Mo Berg, you know, and, and this has caused some confusion over the years, but even if you're not certain that it's hyperbole, certainly in the Hebrew, the language that Jesus, the language that Jesus used for much of his teaching, hate in this case isn't hate. Yes, hate is just as we can say, Love and hatred is preference, yes, over non-preference. And Jesus is just very simply saying, yes, again, you have to prefer me over your father and your mother, and even over your, your own life. Again, Jesus would not be um, encouraging us to engage in some kind of self-hatred, which is a disease. Uh, a spiritual disease, only to say that we should put his interest, yes, or, the, or over ours. Very simple, yes, it's a matter of preference. An apprenticeship, to be an apprentice, to be a learner, to be a student, and to enter in, to begin to grow into this place of holiness with all its blessings and benefits, yes, nothing can or should uh, get in the way. And by the way, I think this also goes for um, not just a family, a nuclear family, but it also something we should think about um, regarding our tribe. Yes, we're living in an increasingly tribal world, and our tribe might be an ethnic group, or it might be a political party, it might be um, a um, cult, some kind of cultural, you know, some kind of cultural movement. And uh, I thought it was very pointed last week in our gospel reading when Jesus said, you know, if you're going to give a banquet, invite those who can't pay you back. 
right? And don't invite the people that you like or the people who are similar to you or those who are going to somehow reward you. No, invite those who are not in your group or not in your family. You know, it's very often, you know, the, uh, our, the, the tribe will tell us or the clan will tell us, you know, why are you being merciful or why are you helping Muslims? Don't you know you should only help Christians? Don't you know those mobs, Muslims are out for jihad? Well, why are you saying something nice to Democrats or Republicans? Yes, why, you know, you, you, you need to, you know, belong to us and belong to our community. And you need to go along with us. Yes, and uh, again, Jesus takes preference and being obedient to him is, uh, is higher, is a higher calling than trying to prove to folks, hey, I'm really with you, I'm one of you. Yes, we have the nation state, we have our political party, we have our ethnic groups, they're all pulling us, yes, in a direction that's very often contrary yeah, to the teachings of Jesus. So I think that's an, a very, very important challenge that we have to consider, and I think it needs, a, before I go on, it needs a PS. Uh, again, over the years, I've had folks who've come to me and they say, I've fallen out with my family. They don't like me. They're going to disinherit me. They're not going to, you know, leave me anything in their will. I can't stand, my mother, and so, what's the issue? The issue, they many times, the excuse that they will use, oh, it's Jesus. I'm a Christian, and I'm trying to be holy. And then when you unpack their story, or when you listen to them in a, in a, in a deeper way, you see that uh, either their brokenness, or their refusal to forgive, or their stubbornness, whatever it may be, yes, has actually wrecked the, the family relationship. Uh, and so we have to be very careful not to hide behind theology. And how do we do that? I think it's very simple. There's a, a prayer that we just prayed at the beginning of our service. It said, uh, Almighty God, you bring to light things hidden in darkness and know the shadows of our heart. Cleanse and renew us by your spirit that we may walk in your light and sanctify your name through Jesus the Messiah. Bring to light those things that, those things hidden in darkness, yes, uh, and those things that are in the shadows of our heart, meaning we need to allow the Lord to expose these things. And in most cases, putting the practice, putting the teachings of Jesus into practice, yes, practice, practicing mercy or reconciliation or forgiveness, whatever it may be, will bring healing to a family system. Not always, but in many cases. I think the other thing which is a little more perhaps modern, and that's a challenge to us, is that many are fearful. And we're fearful of, of being labeled as a religious freak or a religious fanatic. And therefore, you know, to be radically committed to Jesus, 
to have no other allegiances, you know, before him, we just think, well, I don't want to kind of raise my head above, you know, uh, the paraffin, or I don't want to, I want to fly under the radar here. But can I uh, just remind, I think it's just worth reminding us that, um, you know, Jesus is God incarnate. That Jesus is God who is not, not, it's not someone who makes him God in the third century, but who's God who takes on human flesh. And in the process of taking on human flesh, what does he do? He shows us what it truly means to be a human being, right? Um, you might say that the problem with much of the world today, the, our world and the, world, the 20th century and the 21st century, is that there's a false anthropology. There's a false understanding of what it means to be a human, what it means to be made in God's image. And so, you know, the communists come along and just say, well, you're just, you know, uh, a product of history. You know, you're uh, some kind of, you know, caught up in some kind of economic struggle. Uh, or the Nazis came along and talked about this phony idea uh, of race. And uh, you have the pansexualist, you know, and the sexual uh, in the sexual revolution that tells us basically we're just biological beings. Be free and, uh, you know, uh, enjoy yourself or express yourself in this, uh, in this world. Or the whole, the movement, the woke movement, which is basically just a struggle, a power struggle. Um, and uh, we're, again, we're just clogs, you know, who are caught up uh, in this battle, you know, or being oppressed by patriarchy or being uh, oppressed, you know, by old-fashioned Victorian morality. All of that, right, leads to the, the most incredible destruction, destroys lives and actually ends up oftentimes sending people to hell, right? And it's that wrong anthropology. It's that distortion of uh, those opening chapters of Genesis. And what Jesus does is restore for us, yes, again, what does it truly look like? What is God's intention, yes, for humanity? What is God's intention for us? How did God design us to live? Uh, and in doing so, we become following Jesus, putting those practices in, putting those practices uh, in our, uh, into putting those things into practice, you might say. When, when we do so, yes, we become normal. We become, by the way, not average. Please never try to be average. Try to be, uh, judge ourselves by the standards of the world around us. Yes, we want to be normal. Yes, we want to be mature. We want to be whole people. We want to be holy people, yes. Uh, and so we shouldn't be afraid of being some kind of religious freak or religious fanatic. Actually, the world around us is the world that is a world that is sick. Right? That's how we have to change. I think change our understanding. 
And finally, if you want to talk about the, maybe the last thing that I just observe, there's a lot of people, especially after the pandemic and, and uh, after the many recent events, you know, in our world, you know, they just say, yeah, I know I should be, I know I should be intentional about being an apprentice, but I'm just so tired and I'm doing my best to hang on and I'm barely surviving in all of this and uh, somehow I'm kind of beaten down and to think, uh, you know, about, you know, being serious about uh, um, our relationship with the Lord is very difficult and even daunting to people. And I think in the midst of all this, let's remember uh, a scripture that we know well, but it, the context of the scripture is one of apprenticeship. It's one of discipleship. And uh, it's the one that we find in Matthew chapter 11. Um, it's a saying that doesn't quite have a context, but yet at the same time, it does, uh, the saying itself is as follows. He said, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The context is learning. The context is still apprenticeship. And I think when we feel overwhelmed and uh, life is just really, really, we find life kind of difficult, uh, that's not the time to say, I'll think about Jesus when, you know, when things get better. Uh, I will pray when things get better. I will take my relationship with him, you know, when I just get through these exams, or if I can just get the kids over their sickness. I think that's the time that we most need, right, to invite the Lord, right, into the situation in which we find ourselves, uh, and to be intentional, right, about... Uh, Again, learning from him, uh, imitating him, asking, well, what would he do in this situation? And can I have, and inviting the, the power of the Holy Spirit, right, to enable us, again, to live like Jesus did. As we obey, again, we come into this, uh, I think, a deeper and more satisfactory uh, relationship with the Lord. It's called holiness. And the way of holiness isn't simply, I'm not playing cards or I'm not watching movies, whatever it may be. The way of holiness is found in following Jesus, imitating him and putting what he teaches into practice, into our lives. If you say, yeah, it's hard, I'll say one more thing. Paul in 2 Corinthians, yes, chapter four, verse four, tells us that the Holy Spirit, yes, is present in the life of the believer, yes, to bring us transformation, 
to bring us conversion, right? To enable us, right? To um, to reflect, yeah, the life of Jesus, or to be molded, you might say, into His image. It's not something that we have to do alone. It's something that God Himself, the Spirit of Jesus, will aid us and strengthen us and um, give us those opportunities uh, to enter into this, uh, this way of holiness. So, Father in heaven, we do thank you for your many, the many um, opportunities that you give us, yes, to be transformed, to become mature, to become whole, to become healthy people, holy people. And we pray that uh, each one of us will not shrink back, that we will not uh, be uh, entangled, Lord, uh, in the wrong way by our families, that we will not be afraid or ashamed of following you. And uh, Lord, that uh, we will not be so weary or even so distracted that uh, you are no longer uh, important for us. In all these things we pray that indeed you'll come to our rescue. Give us your wisdom and insight, and most of all, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, so that indeed we will persevere and remain loyal to your Son, Jesus, under all circumstances. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.